Oh, hello everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. Today is uh, Wednesday, August 26th, 2015. Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Um, today on the podcast, we will talk about, pull this over here a little bit. We will talk about um, what? Let's see. Um, huge UFC December with fights being added to the Ultimate Fighter 22 finale, UFC 194, UFC on Fox 17. We'll get to all of that. Uh, Bellator 141 is Friday, uh, features the Bellator debut of Melvin Gillard. Then, of course, on Saturday and Sunday is ADCC 2015. Um, only happens once every two years. So last time I was in China, and it was a disaster. This time it's going to be on Budo videos, so we'll have a lot of coverage of that. Um, yeah, so I, I, what, what do you want to say about today? Today is just one of those horrible days where um, I'll get the chat going here in just a minute. And I, of course, I appreciate everyone's patience, but I just sort of want to say in the work of journalism, such that sports journalism even is, um, you know, the tragedy in Roanoke today is is uh, unspeakable horror, truly unspeakable horror. And I made the mistake of watching the uh, alleged killers videos, which uh, I do not recommend Although I think Twitter and Facebook suspended his accounts, but I'm sure they're out there somewhere. But um, in, any, in any event, that is a uh, a nauseating experience, to put it mildly. So in any event, um, you know, these were not war journalists somewhere in uh, a part of the world besieged by uh, militias and oppressive state governments. These were people who are doing sort of local news. And Roanoke is a town, like, you know, three, four hours from Washington, D.C. It's on the very tip of Virginia, on the western tip. And, uh, yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible beyond uh, my ability to use the English language to describe it. So I just want to sort of start off by saying um, just how uh, profoundly sad I am for all of it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, not, without getting too political, I mean, we just obviously have an enormous gun problem in this country that is needs some serious um, addressing. Okay, but that aside, we have a chat to get to. Do we not? We do. So if we can put that away, it is National Dog Day 2. Barbas, Barbas, come here, buddy. It's National Dog Day. You got to come here and represent. Come here, buddy. So Barbas is here. As you can see, he's got his Batman handkerchief. <laughs> Nothing like putting a, having a dog put you in a good mood. Uh, I need to wash your eyes, buddy. Um, so it's National Dog Day. So uh, tweet photos of your dogs. Put photos of your dogs or cats in the comment section if you so choose. That'd be cool. Well, get a nap. That's it. Um, let's see. We can do a couple things here. You can share this link with anyone watching. I would appreciate that. You can put it on Facebook, YouTube. Twitter, wherever you want to share it, please share it. Give this video a thumbs up if you can. My knuckles, you can see, are a gross disaster. i got to address this. Um, and then we'll get this chat going. And by the way, no diet soda today. Uh, today's drink, not officially, of course, it brought to you, you're going to say it's slime, but it's not slime. It's a drink called Lulo. It's a fruit in uh, South America. I don't know if you can even get it in the United States. And uh, this is some sort of, like, version of it. Uh, it's good. Mmm. Delicioso. All right. With that preamble out of the way, uh, here we go. First question that is green. 
Chris Weidman versus Luke Rockhold. Luke, this title fight was recently announced as the co-made event for 194. Yes, it was. Blah, 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 blah. Here's the question. Last week, you said it was far too early to be breaking down this fight, but since both competitors' physical and mental attributes are about as close to even, do you think this fight is likely to result in a highly competitive five-round battle of wills, much like Lawler versus McDonald? Um, well, I don't think it'll look like Lawler McDonald, if that's what you're asking, but I think what you're asking is not, will it resemble it from round to round in terms of what happened? but more resemble the idea where it starts slow and then leads to a bigger boil. Um, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I actually don't think it'll look like that, if I'm being honest, because I think both guys are going to be measured a bit early, but I really think that one's going to heat up much quicker. I actually think what's going to happen there is there's going to be momentum swings. What made Lawler and, and McDonald so great was that it kind of went like this. Yeah, it got hotter and hotter and hotter. It was like being the frog in the boiling water. When the frog is first put in there, it's cold, tepid water. It doesn't really notice. But by the time it's at a roaring boil, it can't get out, right? So that's sort of what, what it felt like to be there. It, was, it just it just, it just just continued. And there was momentum swings on that one as well, of course. You know, uh, Lawler getting rocked with the head kick and then um, obviously McDonald eventually being stopped. But it, it was, I mean, more pronounced, more frequent, um, momentum swings, you know, I think if, and also, you know, your impression of what's going to happen because Lola McDonald, you know, it wound up being great. And I think some people thought McDonald had a really good chance. I picked him to win. Um, but I think generally, you know, there was a pretty clear indication that Lawler was the favorite. I haven't looked at the odds for this one, but I generally feel like most people, some have an idea. If you're a supporter of Rockhold, obviously you believe in him. If you're a supporter of Weidman, you believe in him, but if you don't really have a dog in the fight in that sense, I feel like most people look at this being like, I don't really know what's going to happen. I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, I think they say that they're sort of open to the idea that anything will happen. Both sort of talk in this way where they have this certitude about what to expect and what's going to happen. I think they're both obviously working with complete information, incomplete information. Um, and, uh, you know, their own sense of superiority. I guess in the end, what I mean is somebody's, estimation of the other as it always is the case is going to be incorrect but more than that whereas there have there was this sort of um crescendo to the lawler mcdonald fight this one will be more like this just up and down up and down up and down up and down before eventually something happens because both guys i think are more susceptible than they admit but both guys are more resilient than the other i think is expecting which will cause the other one to then rise to the occasion. Like they're both going to pull things out of each other that you only really see in the case of adversity. Uh, okay. Rumbling about rumbles punishment. Rumble was stupid and apologized. Why should athletes have to be perfect individuals or behavior better than most other individuals to be allowed to compete at the highest level? So I don't really have a very firm take on this one in the way that many other people do either for or against rumble. Um, and I know you all get tired of hearing this, but to me, it's like if we would just, again, I mentioned it last week on the chat about drug testing. I would like to stop talking about this. I would like, you know, or the Reebok kits, whatever else. They all are centered on this 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 notion, this, this fact of existence about being independent contractors. So to me, it's like, you know, does Rumble Johnson have a history of domestic violence? Yes. 
uh, are, are these issues pervasive in MMA? Yes. Is that problematic for a brand like UFC? Yes. If I were in the UFC, if I were running it, would I want to do something about it? Yes. Like I, I, these are all to me fairly non-controversial opinions, but the problem is like, I don't, I don't really understand to me. It's just, I have a bit of a hard time cheering the punishment of someone like this, um, who is just an independent contractor. If you wish to not do business with them, you know, I would understand that. Uh, and again, the, the notion of what it means to be an independent contractor has a bit of variance on the one hand, a plumber on the other hand, a fighter, and there's sort of two different realities about it. And it's a wide expanse about what it means generally. But I guess what I'm just saying is on a moral case, something had to be done on a practical level. Um, the leeway and authority to do that to me remains a bit unclear, uh, which is why if he was an employee, then the, then I would answer the question as follows. Did they do enough? Probably probably did enough but there's just a lot of unanswered questions we don't know who did the investigation we don't know what they found we don't know we haven't yet heard to my knowledge from the uh the woman in this particular case and so all of these things cast doubt on the veracity of the ufc's punishment to me it seems like what happened was um, he's got some really unhealthy attitudes about power and how women relate to power and he also has some problems in terms of controlling those emotions, um, which can lead both to very serious consequences. And I think this one was less severe, right? I mean, no one was actually physically hurt that I understand, but it's emblematic of a larger problem and a larger attitude about the way which you view the world. To the extent that this problem remedies that, I, I am uh, this, uh, this, this punishment remedies that, I have very little um, faith, but reasonably speaking, I'm not sure exactly what they can do to an independent contractor. Understand, that if they go too far, I don't think that in this particular case, Rumble would, but if you're the UFC and you go too far on a punishment and they take you to court over this, which they could do if they were big and powerful enough and you lose, you could really set yourself up for some problematic consequences, right? Because um, if the court comes out and rules that you don't have the authority to do this from an independent contractor, some of the other fighters might perk up and say, oh, really? Oh, really? So if you're asking if it, whether or not it is an empty punishment, um, it might be, but it might be because it might have to be. Um, again, but if then no one ever challenges it, you know how the story goes, then what does it really mean? So I don't really know exactly what to say about it. On the one, I wish you were an employee because that would make ascertaining what to do about it much easier, much clearer, much simpler. Um, but the way in which he currently has a relationship with the UFC via independent contracting, I'm really not, I'm really not that, I'm, I'm big on, um, people exercising their rights that they have. I'm not big on guys just sort of like pushing it away because they want to be compliant or, you know, a company guy. Um, it, being a company guy only makes sense for a very, very, very slim amount of people. And I don't think Rumble is one of them. But if you're asking me if the guy has problems, certainly without being a psychologist or in any way, you know, equipped to make any kind of medical evaluation, just sort of looking at it, and hearing anecdotally the information that's coming in seems like there's a case where you could establish he's got some he's got some issues with the way in which women hold authority in the world. Um, how to cheat? Excuse me. How to treat a cheat? Did you hear about Gatlin moaning about his coverage on the BBC and British media? Long story short, he was called a drug cheat at every opportunity, and now he says he refuses to cooperate with them. Would such a threat from a cheat or person in the wrong ever influence your coverage of them? Now, my coverage will exist one way or the other. Their liking or disliking of it is irrelevant. 
Why Harley shouldn't be a UFC sponsor. How different would the heavyweight title history be if Mir never had a bike crash? Uh, not that different necessarily. I don't think that, um, I mean, it would be a little bit different, but, um, but, um, you never really know what it did for him. I mean, it sent him back many, many years and uh, gave a window for Tim Sylvia to do what he did. Um, but, uh, well, Tim Sylvia did what he did against Rico Rodriguez, but I guess, I mean, you know, and we know, all know Mir beat him, but there was just a long period there where he just wasn't able to compete at a high level, but you never really know, like, would he really have matured the right way? Would he have progressed the right way? Certainly, I'm sure it did set him back, but was he ultimately able to recover that in division that's kind of thin? You know, I don't know. And, of course, Orlovsky had his reign. Which end of 2015 fight are you looking forward to the most? The return of Nurmagomedov. Far and away. Not saying it's the fight that you have to care about. Not saying that's the most important fight. Not saying that if you pick Overeem over JDS that I would argue with you. Even Lausanne Dunham. Anything. Anything. Um, but to me, you know, Nurmagomedov, training in Bahrain, being out for this long against a guy like Ferguson who is peaking, this is a much tougher fight than the Cerrone fight, stylistically, for Nurmagomedov. And I have been Im as impressed with his wrestling and grappling in the, in, in the UFC as I've ever been impressed with anyone's. Um, I just feel like he has a complete mastery of the game as it relates to MMA, but a guy like Ferguson who can do unorthodox things and takes risks and takes chances um, and who's, who's been competing and hasn't been injured. You guys all saw what happened to Kane against Fabricio Verdun, man, a long time off. And when you've got other competitors who have stayed active, who are on the come up, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. And I really wonder how much those injuries are going to set him back. At his best, I don't think Nurmagomedov can be beaten that weight class but I don't really know if we're going to get him at his best. And so therefore I have a big, big, big question about it. And I've been a big fan of the way he competes. I just really want to see what, what, um, what those injuries did to him. Put up or shut up. Marina Moreau's losing to Letourneau after trash talking about a title shot reminded me of Phil Davis before the rumble loss. Do you think this is why some fighters are reluctant on the mic? Yeah, of course. Of course. This is a game where if you zig when you're supposed to zag, you lose. If you underestimate your opponent in any way, which is very easy to do, because why? Because you're delusional. Fighters are all delusional. They are liars. They are liars because they have to be liars. They get in there and they tell themselves they can't be beaten when anyone can be beat. They tell themselves they're better when they're routinely not. They tell themselves this guy can't hurt me when they can. They tell themselves my jujitsu is better when it often is not. But they just, they, they lie to themselves to will themselves to victory because that often works. They lie to themselves to get through tough practices. They lie to themselves to get through punishment that they their bodies are taking so they can all set up themselves for a chance at the greatest victories and the greatest glory. And so, um, you know, that has costs and benefits. The benefits being that you can raise your game and the, the, the downside being that you can badly mistake your own chances or somebody else's beyond other things as well. Um, you know, if you guys saw the Monday Morning Analyst, I just did a quick one. It wasn't particularly, um, you know, it wasn't an amazing episode or anything, but I, I talked about Moroz. Moroz has a bizarre game, man. Truly bizarre. She's athletic. She's quick. She's limber. Um, she's a, she, she, she's certainly game, right? Stands in the pocket, 
but she looks like she's been training in an alternate universe outside of best practices. Like she's got something she does really well. She fires a quick jab, but her retraction on it is not good. And her defensive liability is huge. And then in the grap and then she doesn't move her head and stuff. And then in the grappling context, she was doing things that just anatomically made no sense. Like holding Letourneau's head, trying to at least roll her or at least stabilize yourself to come up underneath or stabilize yourself to stand. And then hooking Letourneau's leg at the same time underneath, meaning Letourneau can't move that much, but could get around your back. But you also have locked yourself into place. Like literally, you've locked yourself into place. Just, just, just weird, weird choices that she makes that maybe work for her against training partners, or you know, maybe she just didn't apply her skills the best that she knows how. Right? We have to always assume that's not necessarily the best case, Morose. But it was bizarre to watch her compete. Just things that were like you're like looking at this physically, like you know, this makes no sense, right? Like you're 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 stopping yourself from being able to do the things you're trying to do. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what that was. It was it was weird. So, you know, she had she had come out of the gate strong, but uh, but not so much in the Laterno fight. Blessed. Now that it is likely Edgar will face Mendez next. Well, it's not likely. It's I mean it's confirmed. But I, you know, okay, I guess there could be injury. What would you do with Max Holloway and Jeremy Stevens? How would you see the Edgar versus Mendez fight playing out? Well, first of all, I would have done it backwards. I would have had, um, I would have had Holloway versus Edgar, and then Mendez versus Stevens. Um, I just feel like Holloway is deserving of a bigger fight. Uh, Holloway's coming off of the win, so is Edgar uh, off the same guy. You know, to me, that one made a little bit more sense. I, I really have a very high opinion of Max Holloway. I truly do. And the other part about Max Holloway that, you know, Stevens could test, but I don't suspect that he will. Holloway has looked really good against guys, but we still haven't quite seen him against, you know, the upper tier of wrestlers in the division. I think it's a fair question to ask. You know, um, we asked about Conor McGregor, and everyone has their own answers about what you saw against the Mendez fight. I would like to see those questions put to, to Max Holloway. And if anyone in that division can ask him, um, it's Frankie Edgar. So we didn't really get to see that. And I'm not sure Stevens does that for him. And I agree that if Holloway keeps winning, we'll eventually get that answer. I'm not mad at the fight of Edgar versus Mendez as such. It's a great competitive fight. I also see why they made it. You know, it's the night before UFC 194 in the event that one or two of those guys and Aldo and McGregor can't make it because of injury or weight issue or who knows what happens, a licensing issue, God forbid. They've got a couple guys that could step in. I get it. I, I'm not overly mad at it. It's not, it's not like I hate the fight. But in a perfect world, I probably would have gone in a slightly different direction. But okay. Um, how do I see Edgar versus Mendez playing out? Um, I like Edgar to win a, a, a tough, tough fight over the course of five rounds. Is that fight even going to be five rounds? It better be five rounds. Um, because uh, Mendez is a very, very tough fight for the first three. But I just see Edgar's ability to adjust over the course of four and five making a difference. Luke Fight Companion. Have you considered doing your own Fight Companion type shows that would accompany UFC events? Um, Dave and in, in Seoul, Korea, coming back to Northern Virginia in October. Uh, never in a million years would I do that. I already do two podcasts. Uh, I do a radio show. I contribute to 120 Sports, 
Um, I do a series for SB Nation Studios and all the stuff on MMA fighting. The idea of adding yet another podcast sounds to me like I'd rather eat fire ants alive. Uh, UFC on Fox. Make sure that everything's going okay. Hang on one second. UFC and Fox. It seems like we are seeing a change in how UFC puts together its Fox shows. It seemed like in the past, P-A-S-S should be past, we would have two well-known guys main eventing on good cards, but nothing too special. Now, since the Rockhold versus Machida card on Fox, it seems like the UFC are putting on much stronger cards on Fox. Why do you think this is due to less fighters being injured and often the depth of talent available or another reason? For whatever reason they're doing it, though, it's a great decision as they're showcasing some of their great upcoming talents. And in the long run, I believe it'll benefit the UFC greatly. Yeah, I think generally speaking, they would prefer to not have a title fight on free TV. They would prefer to put it on pay-per-view. But we live in a world where that may not ultimately matter all that much. Their ability to do that kind of thing, to say, well, it's a title fight and therefore it's worthy of pay-per-view. Not necessarily. What's worthy of pay-per-view could be totally independent of that, whether we like it or not. Um, And I think putting a title fight on free TV, though, does have some ability to slightly sell it again it's always going to be the names it's always going to be the matchup um but there is a little bit of cachet to say hey you know we've got a free title fight on national television this is something that um you know if you've never seen these guys before here's a great reason to check it out you guys know the ufc brand you know ufc titles got to mean something that may not get you to come off of your wallet but it may get you to you know say you know what it's free all right i'll give it a shot sure why not you know and hey everyone knows cowboy cerrone so to me, I just think it's a genius call. Now, why are they doing it? Now, this is it, which is interesting to me. You guys know I've been complaining about this the last few years. Like, you know, you go back and look at some of those cards from 2012 and 13. 14 was a tough year with injuries, so I'm not. I don't want to highlight that one as the best case example of it. But you know, just you know, why was 151 canceled? We've been over this because the card was super weak, super weak, um, and uh, they just they were running so many shows with not enough fighters. They just thought we can put one at the top and we'll just put stuff in the middle of it and that'll be that. And I feel like some people are complaining, well, it's feast or famine. Sure, December is great and maybe the, the the Rousey show will be okay, but what about everything else? And I'm saying to you, who cares about everything else? Who cares? Look, here's what I've discovered about UFC fans that has surprised me. Their appetite generally for content. People willing to say, am I, am I willing to watch a UFC show, let's say on Fox Sports 1? Their appetite for that kind of thing and their tolerance for the level of quality is much. I don't mean this. Maybe I'm in the wrong for it. I don't mean this to say like I've got a better idea than you, but their their tolerance for it is much is much uh, higher. They have a they have a lower standard of what they're what they're willing to accept. For me, when I see some of these cards, I'm like, there's almost nothing that interests me. But then I look at the wind up looking at the ratings. Although Sundays weren't very good, but they weren't horrible either. Um. You know, but I look at, you know, what was the one before that? The, uh, you know, Dariush and Johnson and and uh, that card. And you look at the ratings. Yeah, it, it, it was feeding off of a Rousey bump. But still, it's like the the amount of appetite for that stuff just way exceeds mine in terms of what I want out of a UFC product. Um, there is a certain amount of tolerance that they have for this stuff that I personally can't share. For me, what I like is the stuff you see on these majorly stacked cards. This, you know, Wyman Rockhold being a co-main event. And then you've got, you know, um, 
Cerrone and, and Dos Anjos and, and, and Nurmagomedov and, and Ferguson and Edgar Mendez and Lausanne Dunham and, you know, putting together thick stacked cards, you know, after a year where they lost 40% in revenue, right? Remember the Bloomberg article, 40% drop, I think is the right call, man. Because here's what you do. You create special, big, huge cards. You build them. You co-locate them in case, you know, um, I, I don't think these big months are accidents. You know, yes, it's different weight classes and stuff. But in the end, if something falls apart, you have pieces right around the same corner to build off of. Okay. And you say, well, the other cards won't be so great. Okay. So a bunch of fight night cards might not be that great. So what? The average UFC fan is probably going to watch a lot of that stuff anyway. And if the rest of the UFC is hot, because you've got these big shows and these big stars and these big events, it just bleeds down anyway. To me, it makes much more sense. I am much happy. You guys know I've been complaining about oversaturation for a long time. I actually like this new strategy. I don't have much to complain about, to be perfectly honest. To me, to have a monster month where you just say, we're going to put as many big fights together as we can. Yes, I know the Rousey fights the next month. Okay, but that notwithstanding, we can all agree that they have tried to put their best foot forward for December. If February is not that great, I, I'm cool. I'm really honestly cool with that because I know most of you out there are going to watch those February shows anyway, even if you kind of grumble a little bit because then eventually it may be the case that the May shows are out of this world. So to me, like just, just grouping around something, having, having a bunch of emphasis around a month or a couple of weeks or whatever the case may be in an event, I totally feel like that's the right call. I feel like it's so much better. It's so much more interesting. It's so much more bang for your buck. It's so much more high level stuff. It's such a reminder of like what this product is when it's at its best, because I just feel like a general malaise where everything is spread evenly is, is it just didn't work. They tried it and it didn't work. And it's especially doesn't work when you've got a bunch of injuries impacting that plan altogether. Group stuff, put it all together, have it just be overkill at once and then take a break. And then overkill, and then so much, and then take a break. Because that's what the fight game's supposed to be anyway. It's supposed to be all in at once, and then and then relaxation. Then all in at once, and then relaxation, and, and then the buildup to all the big moments. We know about December. How, it's August. We know already about December, September, October, November, and then December again in, in, in the middle of that month. We, we have four months to think about these things and get excited about it. And even if there's injuries, okay, well, they plugged it in, and I'm still cool with that. And never, that's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be looking at big fights way in advance, and you're supposed to be hotly anticipating them. And by the time they arrive, you just can't sit still. You can't take it anymore. That's what it's supposed to be, man. That's exactly what's. So to me, I'm I'm completely on board with the new UFC strategy. And I think this is. I think it's. I think it's the way to go, and I think it'll work. And I think it's already started to work a little bit. And if you're going to have all these shows, which I still think is a bit of a problem, but if you're going to have all these shows. Make sure that the big ones are really big. And if the small ones are small, okay. Grappling on TV. Uh, let's see. I was... Jesus. I was channel surfing on Monday night and stopped by both Fox Sports 1 and 2 during primetime and they were showing poker and cliff diving. Okay, but they were showing soccer a lot recently too. With such a fantastic month of grappling occurring with Metamoris, EBI, ADCC, and the, NC, uh, the upcoming NCAA wrestling season, I have to lament upon the lack of anything of the sorts on sports television. With participation of freestyle, folk-style, submission, no-key, and BJJ at an all-time high, how in the name of all that's right in this world could we not have some sort of competitive grappling on TV? 
Active participants alone could create ratings, so the excuses of it looks boring, no one understands, have to be negated at this point. We actually have a pop culture stars, Bourdain, Kutcher, Rogan, Ed O'Neill, as well as NFL MLB athletes who train both in and out of the gi that would help in pushing the product out. So I ask you, what's the holdup? Yeah, um, well, let's see. USA Wrestling has a deal with ESPN, so that takes out the big tournament. The other tournaments like Big Ten are aired by Big Ten Network, so you could probably get some dual meets on there. And I don't know to what extent Flow Wrestling has the rights to those events. So I think a lot of it is a rights issue for amateur wrestling here in the United States. For the freestyle stuff, most of that goes to, again, NBC Universal, which has Olympic rights, which airs World, World Team Trials, which airs, I think, U.S. Trials on their NBC Universal channel. So, so that stuff's all taken up, freestyle folk style. Um, with jujitsu, honestly, you know, I, I, I think they're probably things like Metamorphs would be better than cliff diving. If you guys didn't see the last Metamorphs event, the underground one, which I'm not telling you, you have to go watch if you don't like that that the company or the people who run it. It's fine. I'm just telling you, the match between Carl Parisian and AJ Agazarm was baller. It was awesome. It was a great competitive match. Um, you know, Agazarm mostly dominated, but we've talked about it before, but you get the idea. Like it was great. It was a really, really fun, fun event. Um, there probably is a case to be made. You could put it there, but I, I think the stuff you're talking about poker and cliff diving, I don't know if they're producing these events or they're just buying the rights to air it. I'm sure cliff diving is cheap as hell to buy. Like no one really cares. Um, I don't know that grappling would be expensive since these events are already staged by these promoters by Metamorphs or in the case of IBJJF. You know, and you're just airing them, but uh, you know that that would probably have to be live. Who wants to see? I guess some people would be okay with it. In the end of the, though, that cliff diving is just a donk jumping off a cliff. And poker, you don't have to be an expert in poker to basically understand what's going on. With jujitsu and all these other sports, you're saying oh, it looks boring. No one understands. I, I, I don't think it's negated at all. I think it's a very real problem. I don't ever think jiu-jitsu is going to be a spectator sport. It can be more of a spectator sport with the right s- rule set. And um, if you have, you know, big-name competitors getting in there, like Ben Henderson, not a huge UFC name, but, you know, it's a, a name MMA fans recognize, Hector Lombard. Uh, I don't believe jiu-jitsu is a spectator sport in that kind of way. People are like, well, what can, what can you do to make the rules of grappling better so that people want to watch it? Add in strikes. I mean, that's, that, that's, there's your answer. Short of that, I just feel like unless you participate in it, it's such a cognitive distance, you know, where just a change on the grip of a heel about whether, I mean, you guys even know the differences between a heel hook here and a heel hook there. Like it could be all the difference in the world depending on who's doing it. Um, and that's something you'll just never get watching. Even with, you know, with American football is not, if Europeans are actually totally wrong about American football. It's extremely complicated, all the plays and sets up setups. Um, but at the end of the day, if you just sort of zoom out and you're drinking beer with your friends and you're tailgating in a parking lot and you just see the, did the ball get a first down or did it not get a first down? You could just sort of say, okay, I got it. With grappling, you know, there's no submission. It's <laughs> you, you just, if you've never trained, you have very, very little idea of what you're looking at. And I just don't know how palatable that is. In fact, I'm fairly convinced it's not palatable. I don't think that argument is in any way settled. So they might be able to, but there might be a live production issue. There might be a rights issue. And frankly, there just might be a palatability issue to the larger public. Although I agree, it's not like watching Fox Sports 2 as some sort of like mecca of obviousness. 
in terms of sports that are, you know, I can jump on board with. Uh, all right, the Rousey Brown storyline. I'm really not going to touch this, but all right. I don't think Brown has commented on the domestic violence allegations against him, but his wife's recent comments about him dating Rhonda are going to bring more publicity to them. How do you think, how do you see this affecting his and Rhonda's reputations as they will be forced to come out to clear the air? Um, I don't really want to touch this one because it's mostly the allegations against Brown are serious and should be looked into. But, and if they are true, it raises some questions about what Rousey is doing. But until we've made a factual determination about that, I would rather just not even talk about it. Yeah, people are asking about like people's personal lives. I don't really care. It's like this Ashley Madison hack. Like how how sad of an individual do you have to be where you're rifling through this data when you have no idea why someone could be on Ashley Madison or what it means or whether you have any right to this information at all. To me, it's gross and sickening and digging through people's garbage because you're sad and alone or because you have some, you have some unhealthy um, obsession with the misery and the scandalous behavior of others. You know, people who are like, it's so, it's so despicable. It's so despicable. Um, the only victims is, <laughs> insofar as I can tell, the people who had their data taken. Uh, absolutely gross. And I, I, I see people like comment on it and like stories like, we've discovered this new wrinkle to the data in the Ashley Madison hack. I do not care. I don't care at all. Zero do I care. And frankly, the fact that you do says quite a bit about uh, the kind of person that you are. Ali Abdel Aziz on the MMA Hour. Was it out of bounds for Ali to talk that critically of his former fighter, Melvin Gillard? There's no such thing as being out of bounds in MMA in terms of talk, combat sports. Doesn't exist. Did y'all see what Mayorga did yesterday? To Shane Mosley's, I think his girlfriend, she was assisting something on the stage before the, uh, not the weigh-ins, the, um, the stare down, and he smacked her on the rear end. And Mosley went to choke him and they got separated. But like Mayorga, Mayorga has said horrible things to people. I mean, truly. I, I can't even repeat some of the stuff he said to De La Hoya. Uh, you know, there's just no such thing. Like if, if it's beyond your personal sensibility, of course, that it's beyond the line. If it's beyond my personal sensibility, fine. But your line, my line are irrelevant. Like, there's just no such thing as, there's no the line. And everyone tried to say that after the comments by um, Kohea about suicide and Rousey. It's like, as I mentioned, I'm MMAB. I lost a parent to suicide. I, I wouldn't be happy if someone, you know, joked about it, obviously. But I wouldn't call for Kohea to be fired or any kind of, you know, she got all the punishment. She did. trust me. She got what was coming to her. So it wasn't like I had any. Should something have been done to her? Something was done to her by Rousey. That's it. Additionally, based on Ali's hush hush dinner with the Fertitas, what would Zufa gain from purchasing World Series of Fighting? Would it be bad news for fighters who are booted from the UFC? 
what would they gain? They would gain access to a feeder league, um, some footage, contracts of some guys they might want. That's about it. They part uh, Flash Entertainment when they partnered with it and got an ownership stake in the UFC. Big things were predicted. Doesn't seem like much has come of it. No, it doesn't. But I don't know how much. And the ten percent ownership stake. I don't know how much did they get some kind of a cash infusion on the other end. I don't. I don't know if there was something else about the deal in terms of breaking into uh, Asia that we aren't aware of. But more than just breaking into Asia, about you know um, how much of that money or, or other monies were were used to fund other projects. But in terms of you're right. In terms of breaking into Asia, Singapore has gone nowhere. Um, China has gone largely nowhere. Japan, we'll see. That seems to be some progress there. Um, you know, with this new series, uh, and then of course the Barnett versus Nelson fight. So we'll see. But I agree on on the Asian front, they're going to Seoul, Korea. But that that one seems long overdue. But I agree that generally speaking, that that has if. If that was a real objective, that one remains very much a uh, work in progress. All right, so someone's asking about five predictions. I will only answer with the caveat that I reserve the right to change my mind come predictions time. Uh, ben Henderson versus Tiago Alves at welterweight. I'm going to take Ben Henderson. Stun Gun versus Masvidal. Phew, tough one, man. I'll take... Oh, man. That is a tough one. I'll take Masvidal. Uh, Nurmagomedov versus Ferguson. I'll take Nurmagomedov. Lentz versus Castillo. I will take Lentz. Diaz versus Johnson. I'll take Johnson. And then Bisping versus Whitaker. I'll take Bisping. The UFC are now going big. The UFC announced the company's latest seasonal marketing campaign this week. Starting with a massive press event to kick off the new marketing promotion on the 4th in Las Vegas. Some of the biggest names are going to be there. What would you have the UFC announce at the press event if you had, say, in the running of the company? Um, I don't think that there's anything to announce except what we already know. The question is, why are they doing this? They're doing it because I just mentioned. Number one, they're putting an identity around this campaign period. But I think it's more than that. They're just trying to co-locate as many big fights as they can and if you group things with a beginning and an end and a bracket, they're calling it a seasonal campaign. I'm not saying that the tournaments, there's no tournament here to speak of, but the tournaments used to be like, well, you know, just like real sports have a season, the tournament should be part of a, a real sport. And, and so I, I, here's what I'm trying to say. Um, I like the idea of having a bracketable beginning and end that you can wrap your head around. Starts here, ends here. This is a big push of fights. This is a big time to get invested. This is the right moment to to look over and, and check out the UFC product, culminating with these major events in December and then January. Um, I, I like it. I think it's a smart call. I've often said in terms of press events, the when the UFC just does these ones that are fight by fight or event by event, sometimes those are big. You know, when you got Jones Cormier, okay, that's big. People are going to come out. But when you can bring in Ronda and Cormier and, as you mentioned, Condit and McGregor and, you know, every listable name you have, it just creates this massive event that really pulls people out. Because if you're a media outlet, non-indigenous to MMA, you look over and you say, you know, should I cover this UFC event? Should I cover that UFC event? Maybe, maybe not. It's kind of hard to get people to go. But if you have all these stars in one place at one time, 
you can go and get a lot out of the coverage. So it's great for media. It's great for the UFC. It helps the fans understand the UFC's push about, you know, we really want to put a heavy emphasis on this portion of the calendar. And as I mentioned before, when you really co-locate events around a single month or a few weekends and things fall apart, you just have pieces in place to make things work. So to me, it feels, it feels like the UFC is – these are the kinds of things like like building deeper cards, building deeper cards with similar weight classes all next to each other, um, and then putting campaigns around you know these, these, these um, bracketable moments in time. <coughs> to me, the UFC is getting much better as a promoter in that way. In 2012, they just figured out, hey, we can just put on whatever we want and people will watch. Well, not really. Not really. And then 2000, then they had bad injuries. And then 2013 was a little bit better. Then 14, they had a ton of injuries as well. And they just realized between all these different things, we just can't do this. They've, they've, made, they've made some changes. And I think the vast majority of these are much better for the consumer and much better for their brand, you know. How lucky are the Las Vegas folks? On the 11th, they have the excellent tough finale. On the 12th, they have Connor versus Jose. Yeah, if you have money for all the tickets. If you're in Las Vegas and you don't go to the fights, it's hard to watch them. Like, I was in Vegas one time for um, Franklin versus Liddell. Was that 114? Something like that. And I had to watch at Stations Casinos, which is off the strip and, um, you know, relative to the other casinos on the strip, not a nice casino. So and I had to watch it. In, it was on a big screen, but I had to watch it in, in, low, in standard def. It was, it was not, it was not, it was not, it was not an awesome experience. All right. Eric Silva embarrassed by his performance. Why is he so sporadic and why did he look so different in the Magni fight? You can make your own theories about why he looked different. There's a picture here. Or, yeah, man, he just does not look the same physically at all. Um, he looked softer. He looked he looked um, much less muscular. You know, about why he did, you can make your own theory about that. Without any evidence, I, I, I hesitate to say much about it, but, you know, it doesn't look good. But in terms of how he fights, he just fights a bit like a donk. Like he's got a lot of ability, but he can get corralled with footwork. He throws big, heavy shots. His jiu-jitsu is not bad, but it's a little bit – it's good, actually. His jiu-jitsu is great, but it's a little bit – it's not tight and compressed. It's a little bit open. And I feel like in MMA, when you have open jiu-jitsu like that, people are going to make you pay for it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking there exactly, but it just seems like he takes a lot of risks. He doesn't quite have the, the uh, finesse of certain positions that you need. Like, I'm sure he knows how to do this stuff. But it's a little bit like he's trying to overcompensate with athleticism versus technical control. You contrast that with Demi and Maya. It's like clear the control is there. There's not a lot of open space underneath him or to the side of him. Everything is is weighted and measured to the T. You know, when you just think about his side control versus Maya's side control, you, you can, you know, or the takedowns as well. You can just see he's got ability. It's not like he's some scrub, but it, you know, he hasn't really rounded that corner of, of, of refinement. Max Holloway, what we saw. Okay, the fight was stopped early, and thankfully Oliveira is okay. But in the short time we did see, 
What did you make of the obvious improvements of Max? Well, I wouldn't say we had a lot of information to judge. So any obvious improvements, I don't know what obvious would be here. He didn't look any better here against like he did against Swanson, but maybe he would look better as the fight went on. So I like what I saw a little bit with the uh, shots to the body. Um, when he was in the left-handed stance, he was chewing up Oliveira with lefts to the body and rights over the top. Takedown defense looked phenomenal, but none of that's exactly new. So I hate to say that we didn't see anything new, but there's or he didn't get better. He might have gotten better. I'm sure he did get better, but there wasn't a lot of evidence to corroborate those claims because there was just that much of a window. The Tate situation. It amazes me how poorly the UFC continues to treat their employees and fighters. I deplore the fact that the promotion mistreats fighters and other staff in such blatant and unnecessary ways. For Tate to find out about her title shot vanishing on Good Morning America along with the rest of the world seems totally unnecessary and disrespectful. Surely a phone call from someone, anyone, at the UFC wouldn't cost them much and would constitute little more than common courtesy. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this latest middle finger from the organization to one of its own and whether you think that they will get away with this sort of arrogant, disrespectful BS behavior and whether it will all come crashing down in some sort of karmic collapse. Um, no, it won't come crashing down in karmic collapse. But what I would say is it's just unjustifiable. There's just, if you're going to make the change, okay, you have your reasons for making the change, whatever, you know, no one owes anything in this. No one knows. Nobody owes anything in this world. Everyone's replaceable. We've talked about that, but for crying out loud, if you're going to switch it, when you've already made a public promise, it seems like the adult thing to do to call them up and be like, look, we have made it, had to make a switch. We're sorry. We're not going to back out on our decision. There's nothing you can say. We're just letting you know, that's what we're doing here. But we figured we owed you a courtesy call, but to not do it, it just seems so unprofessional, you know. And I don't know what the decision is or why they did it or whatever the case may be. I like to hear their side of the story. But it's hard to imagine a scenario where you, you can say, I'm justified in not letting someone know about a major life and career decision that we promised them that we're not taking them away. They don't have a right to hear it first. How do you make that argument? I, I don't know. All right. Edgar and Mendez fighting at the Tough 22 finale. What do you think of Frankie and Chad agreeing to fight on the Tough 22 finale as the main event? I bet it'll be a fantastic battle between the two. Yeah, we've already gone over this. Thoughts on Frankie Perez. What are your thoughts on Frankie Perez's situation that played out on Sunday? Also, what did you think about the Bisping's comments? Um, yeah, so. Happy for Frankie Perez. Um, what a way to go. Uh, totally applaud the guy. If he wants to leave, then not just his right, but um, commendable life choice to do the things he wants to do. I figure like everyone in MMA, you're like, there's this, there's this belief in the MMA community that you have to love MMA more than the next guy and that your virtue and your place in this community is dictated by your love of the sport and your commitment to it and all the sacrifices you're willing to make and how many stories about people who have made an MMA are including, you know, you know, to get the position I'm in now where I'm editing an MMA fighting, you know, I had to make some sacrifices too, but you know, no, I don't expect anyone to care. Uh, but anyway, so much of MMA is like, you know, uh, I love MMA more cause I give up more to make MMA a part of my life. 
And that's cool if you want to do that, but that doesn't make you any better or any more superior or anything else like that. And for Frankie Perez to say, I have other interests and other things I want to do with my life, even though I have success in this field, um, I completely applaud him. Go do the things in life that make you happy. And if MMA is not one of them, at least MMA in this capacity, because he did say he wanted to keep training, good, go do it. Absolutely. Couldn't be happier for him. Glad. Glad he's not dependent on an on a, on a MMA or UFC paycheck. Glad he has his own source of income that he can make these decisions happen. I do tend to think that he might come to not regret it, but maybe try and get back in the octagon at some point being only 26 and, um, you know, realizing there might be some big money opportunities he could still take advantage of later on before he's 30 or, or at some point, but be that as it may, I completely applaud it. And look, here's the thing about Michael Bisping. Some people wanted to go and kill him on Twitter. And I was very unhappy with what he said. Michael Bisping has always been very cool to me. He, I've said this before, when he was on MMA Uncensored Live, and, and that's where he broke that time where he said that he had sparred with Luke Rockhold and that, you know, that makes him, Bisping, the unofficial strike force middleweight champion. That was on MMA Uncensored Live. That was not on any other show. Because um, I remember what he said when the commercial break was over. He looked at me and he goes, should I have said that? And I was like, well, I mean, you did. Um, and he just kind of laughed it off. He didn't say, well, it is what it is. But, you know, whatever you else you think about that, he was my favorite guest on that show by far. By a million miles. He's funny. He's personable. Um, he's a smart guy, career-oriented, has an amazing belief in himself. Seems like a family man, too. Like, there's a lot to like about Michael Bisping. So I'm not attacking him personally when I say this. I'm only speaking about his comments. I thought his comments were deplorable. I thought they were absolutely and ridiculous and totally out of bounds um, and, and utterly without any sort of justification. Your ability to compete in mixed martial arts is in no way related to any simplistic notion uh, uh, of manhood. Manhood may mean many things, but it doesn't mean do you cage fight or do you not? And do you cage fight at an elite level or do you not? There are plenty of men who never have the ability nor ever will nor have the interests who are just that. They are men. Um, you know, trying to equate the desire to stick through it in MMA, despite having under other interests as a lack of manhood is just, you know, absurd without comment. I mean, there's it's such a primitive notion of human identity that I, I barely can say anything else about it. So I was really disappointed to hear him say that. I hope he regrets it because I do like him. I do think he's a good guy. Um, and I like what he's done for the UFC and for UK MMA, but those comments in, in particular are, are, are absolutely uh, just ridiculous. When you, when you break down the whole point of weight classes, we are trying to find an objective way to get fighters of the same size to fight each other. Fighters then play the system by removing water and food from their body. Would there be any merit in categorizing fighters by body volume rather than weight, say in a tank of water, how much they displaced? Seems like this would remove the need to cut water weight, removing associated risks, and also means guys of a smaller size will fight each other. Dieting would only have a very limited effect on this process. All of what you displace can be changed as well. All that's manipulable or able to be manipulated beforehand. That would also do nothing. People are like, well, how much water do you, do you displace? I don't know. Let me, let me get down to a level where I displace less water, and therefore when I'm told to then fight someone, I've already have a test where I've, you can just cheat on the test, right? Whatever test there is to measure body volume, you can cheat before you get there. Cheat, cut weight, whatever you want. 
And then when you take the test, you've now established a limit. That's what, what the NCAA does is they monitor you over the course of a season with body hydration and how much, you know, how you, at what weight are you below a level of hydration that we're comfortable with? And you have to wrestle above that weight. That's it. Adding more weight classes would help, but it would also dilute the talent pool. I mean, it's sort of one conversation we never really have in a very deep and robust way. What is one way to immediately solve the problem of weight cutting? Not, not completely, but what's one major step you could take? Adding more weight classes. But adding more weight classes is bad for business. I'm not saying that UFC does not have an incentive to get fighters healthy. They do. But they are wrestling with this idea of how do we keep guys healthy while also keeping our viable weight classes that we can monetize. It's just an inherent fact of business. Um, boxing has less of an issue with this, partly because they don't have the, the culture from wrestling adopted over, but because, you know, oh, you know, you don't want to fight at 141, okay, go to 147. It's easy. It's super easy. There's a billion weight classes. Um, but we never really talk about that fact. Not that we can't add more, but like, why don't they just add more? They could. They could fill up a 165-pound weight class. It may not be that thick or that, like that, that talent rich, but they could do it. Why don't you do it? Well, because you have... A bunch of belts now. How would you sell that? Why would you ruin a good division at 155 or 170 to make it happen? So there's 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 economic consequences in this particular case to doing these kinds of things that fall on the shoulders of the promoter. Understandably, why they but we don't see them do it. This this conversation has to be had. All these things about like what about this test? What about that test? There's an economic incentive to not do this until the sport is at a much much more um, pronounced level with a huge participatory rate at a global level. Damn, y'all are arguing today, huh? If, and that's a big if, glory is on the rocks, who do you think might buy it? Will it be saved? Should Zufa be interested? I don't think Zufa wants to get in the kickboxing business. And I don't know if, I don't know if Viacom wants to, I mean, I, Viacom is in the kickboxing business by their allegiance with Glory, but I don't know if uh, if they want to get in on it. I, I I talked to some sources and they were telling me like they're still trying to turn Bellator into a big money making machine. And that's a work in progress. Although I think it's I think most would say it's more on the right tracks now than it has been maybe ever. Um, but do they want to buy another organization? That's you know I don't have I'm not I don't have. Look, from what I've heard, it's not making money. Just, okay. Do they want to buy another organization like that? And then try to turn that one around too? I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. I don't know what they want to do. But I also don't think they just want to see it go away. So I don't I don't know. It's, a good, it's really a tough question to answer. Uh, what do you think about the World Series of Fighting one night eight-man tournament? Feel like, <laughs> feel like it's the most World Series of Fighting thing ever. It's like on one hand you're like, you know what? Not a bad idea. I could get behind this. This seems kind of interesting. Seems kind of fun, you know. And then the first thing you realize is they wanted to put it in a state where the where that very thing is illegal, which is so very World Series of Fighting. So they wanted to push it to someplace else. Okay, cool. But then you see what Coker does. Coker does a four man tournament, you know, and they're doing an eight man. I just feel like with eight man. I'm not against them on principle, but I am, I am, uh, it's such a risky idea. And when you just look at like all the times, if, like if you watch a UFC weigh-in, 
someone missing weight, I'm not saying it's uncommon, but it's still a little bit scandalous, right? Especially if it's like a main card guy or woman. People miss weight at World Series of Fighting at almost the same rate they make weight. And I just feel like, uh, you know, it's a small example, but it just seems like World Series of Fighting, you know, they have a lot of luck sometimes, but they often don't have any luck. And there's just not a lot of managerial oversight of the fighters in the same way that there is for UFC. And just sets up a lot of things to go badly. A lot. So I wish him luck. I hope it doesn't. I hope it's a big success. But I'm just waiting for the uh, for the whole thing to collapse. Uh, EPL team. Look, I know you support Real Madrid and La Liga and presumably Champions League. Well, of course. Do you have a favorite EPL team? I'm not like super hardcore on Premier League like everyone else is. Um, but uh, certainly Arsenal will be the team. The Gooners. Could you talk a little bit about how things are going with Invicta? Ever since the UFC got two female divisions, Invicta isn't covered as much in the media. Are they struggling? I can't help but feel the UFC has bled them dry of talent, and they're struggling to build stars and want, that want people, that people want to watch. Well, yeah. <laughs> when you strip mine them of their two best divisions, that's what happens. And then they can't afford to pay Cyborg, so she's on a Zufa contract that they pay her salary, but put her in Invicta. I mean, look, it is what it is. I. Invicta is a great organization. Shouts to uh, Julie Kedzie. Does a great job as matchmaker over there. I think she, she might be the most underrated matchmaker in the game, if we're being honest, in terms of what she has to work with and what she's asked to accomplish. Um, Invicta's cool. I think they're making some changes. You know, look, uh, uh, having your show on the same weekend on the Friday before a UFC event is a big deal. But look, I don't know how much money those shows make. Probably not very much at all. Um, getting on Five Pass is good for exposure. I, I don't know what kind of monetary deal they have. Um, if you look at their payouts, they obviously don't have a lot of money to give. To me, the whole point about having Invicta, and I've said this repeatedly on MMA Beat, and I'll repeat it here, it's it's a nonprofit organization, if you ask me. It's designed, yes, I'm sure they want to make money. Who doesn't want to make money? But like, what their major achievement is they're trying to un-F women's MMA. They're trying to have normal weight classes. They're trying to have thicker divisions. They're trying to have appropriate matchmaking. They're trying to have unified rules applied across the board in the way that it's supposed to be with the proper commission oversight and all that before it was all just splintered. You fight someone at 147 and this other person at 131 and it was bizarre. All, they're trying to get rid of all that. They're trying to make it a clean, neat sport in the same way you have it on the men's side of the, of the, of the, of the thing. And it's not clear to me that that is in any way a money-making business. Doesn't mean I, I don't respect profoundly what Shannon Epp is trying to do. She's a, she's a hero in the sport for trying to say, you know what, it's unfair that we treat women this way and we treat the whole side of the sport this way. Someone has to do something about this. And I completely applaud her for it. Same with Julie Kedzie getting out there. Let's let's make I, – I don't have my best 115ers and I don't have my best 135ers, but, but, but F it, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to try to make the most competitive fights and the most interesting weight classes that I can. And I feel like she does a phenomenal job at it. Uh, but, again, I ask, like, is this the best way to make money? To get people to give you cash? For your product, I don't know that it is, but I know that it has huge value to the UFC. It has huge value even to Bellator. It has huge value to all of MMA when you can have a leader organization try and create and fill out and steady divisions um, along appropriate weight class lines. Everyone benefits that way, especially UFC given the close ties that the two organizations have. So to me, it's um, it's got tremendous value, and the people who run it are saints, but profit making, I just don't see it. At least not right now. 
Someone's asking about my back. Yes, I jacked it up doing deadlifts. Can you believe that? Someone was like, you need to go hard on deadlifts. You're not going hard enough. And I listened to him. <laughs> oh, God. I was in so, I mean, I was just writhing in agony for days. It was so bad. How did you see Uriah Hall versus Musasi going? I see Musasi taking over the fight middle and late. I see him staying out of the way of Uriah Hall's biggest shots. I see Uriah Hall being a little too pensive, a little too uh, infrequent with, with his attacks. And I see Musasi um, winning. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can, see what we got going on there. Would it bring a, would it be a good idea? Jesus, can I read today? Would it be a good idea to bring the flyweight division to the bantamweights and create a super middleweight division on the men's side? Uh, it would be awesome temporarily, but I think a long-term strategic misstep. True or false? Sean Shelby and Joe Silva have the final say on matchups. False. Um, will McGregor go straight to lightweight after a win at 194? I, I, I'm a little surprised why people keep saying this. I understand the cut he makes is tough. Y'all, he's got work to do there. Like, he's not even... If, if McGregor was someone that you hated, and many of you don't, neither do I. I think he's great. But if he were someone you hated, you would be laughing at his belt. Y'all got the audacity to laugh at Daniel Cormier's belt, and that's the real one. McGregor's belt is just is, is more meaningless than that. It was just created so they didn't have a main event with no belt when they had a co-main event with a belt. Like, and you were talking about him going to lightweight? Dog, he's got a long road ahead of him. A long road. You gotta you gotta win the title. And then you got to hold it and defend it. The idea of him going to like lightweight, despite it being a tough cut, he'll go to lightweight when he's 30, not when he's 26 or 27. I would be shocked if he went back to lightweight or up to lightweight. I would be shocked. Does Zufa own any part of Invicta? I don't know. It's a question I've been asking for a while. I don't know the answer to that. Will Max Holloway feel hard done by being overlooked for the Tough 22 finale? I don't think he's in the position right now where he really thinks of himself as a bankable star or, you know, someone that, um, you know, I deserve to be treated in a different way. I think he's very much in this spot where he's like, I'm just so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be treated this way. Um, did I turn on the lights in this house? Yeah, they're good enough. I'm so happy to to have these opportunities. I'm so happy to be a part of this organization. He doesn't really think of himself as like somebody who can exact leverage to get more. Um, and as a consequence, I feel like, um, you know, I'm sure he's not maybe thrilled that he didn't get the call, but at the same time, I think when he finally gets a call for whatever is next for him, he'll just be like, well, you know what? So excited. So happy. Could be wrong. But my read on the outside is that he just, not that he just takes whatever people give to him. That, I don't mean that, but that he isn't at a, He's 23. Like he just, I feel like he's still 
looking at the world with big eyes and and wonder and and amazement at his part and being all of that. And that's a good thing to have. But eventually, of course, I would like to see him turn the corner if he can keep on having some success and say, you know what, I may be worth more than this, and maybe I should be treated a little bit differently. But you know, he's still skill building. I don't. I just don't think it's like I said. Holloway versus Stevens is not some tragedy. It's a great fight. It's a great fight. And Edgar versus Mendez is not some tragedy. It's a great fight. I would have preferred to have seen Holloway versus Edgar, but if he's still skill building, he's still young, and they're going to keep him for something else, and they need those two guys to fill in in case Aldo or McGregor can't make it to UFC 194, okay, I get it. It's cool. I get it. I get it. Uh, I'm not mad at him about all that. What would be more impressive, Bendo winning ADCC or the UFC welterweight title? Oof. Good question. Um, who is in Ben Henderson's division? Let's see. Because he can beat some of these guys. He's good, man. All right, here's his division. Less than 77 kilos. Who's the big name there? Enrico Coco is a beast. Wagner Hoja is a beast. Davi Ramos is a beast. Gabriel, is it Holo? Um, Gary Tonin, he can't be Gary. Although he's much bigger than Gary. <laughs> Otavio Sosa, good luck with that. Lucas Lepre, good luck with that. Dylan Danis, good luck with that. Gilbert Burns, zero chance he beats Gilbert Burns. AJ, I won't say zero chance, but very little chance. AJ Agazar and the Milton Vieira. Man, that's a tough division. That is a tough division, man. Damn. Um, he can beat he can beat some of the guys who I think were trials winners. Um, you know, he, he can beat guys because of his wrestling. It's really good there, right? So he'll take a guy down and maybe he passes, maybe he doesn't, maybe he gets an advantage. But he he can win that takedown battle, and he's very hard to sweep and he's very hard to submit. And so what winds up happening is he can get this takedown that control guys. So it's a bit of a simple game plan, but very, very effective and speaks to his strengths. This is where it wouldn't go so well for him in like a no time limit sub only format because he doesn't really threaten the other guys. Um, unless like he'll threaten other guys in other tournaments when they're like, they can't sweep him. He doesn't fall for any of the obvious tricks. So then they take risks themselves that they shouldn't be taking and then they'll get their back taken. But like, if you just if you just want to play guard and threaten him, he'll just kind of like shut down your guard and then not do a whole lot else. He might pass a little bit, but you know, just enough to get the two points for the takedown and the advantage. But against someone like Gilbert Burns, who can match him there, or Otavio Sosa or Gary Tonin, who takes a bunch of risks, um, but usually he makes it work for him. Or Agazarm. I don't know. About, he, might, he might be able to beat Agazarm. Agazarm is too small, I think. But Henderson's big for this weight class, but we'll see, man. We'll see. And Enrico Coco's a beast, too. Enrico Coco, Coco beat a friend of mine. Very, very good guy. Luke, since you were absent from the MMA beat last week, I was wondering if you would like to share your opinion on the Vince versus Dana argument. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, I'll just, I'll just humor you. I personally think a lot of it comes down to the fact that I'm not, I can't, I can't. I can't deal with it. I don't care. I don't care. I think Dana White is infinitely more talented than Vince McMahon for what it's worth. But 
I'm sure many don't disagree or many do do disagree. And I don't care that if you do, I just don't. Uh, all right. Illegal performance enhancer used by TJ Dillashaw and others. Okay. Um, Luke, what do you make of fighters being allowed to take shroom tech sport before competition? If you're unaware of the product and I am, uh, it's made by on and essentially increases your oxygen intake and greatly improves cardio. It's made by all natural ingredients and is completely legal in competition. TJ Dillashaw is sponsored by on and uses this product. He never gets tired. Do you think this is a loophole? Well, I don't think he gets tired because he takes this product. That's like people being like, Ooh, my bench press will go to 315 in six weeks if I just take creatine. No, it won't. Uh, but without knowing enough about the, I mean, it's called shroom tech. I, I don't know how scientific we are, we're getting here. I don't know. I don't know enough about the product to give you helpful feedback. Stop, buddy. Let's see. Uh, someone says, no Jose Aldo for the Go Big press conference. I wonder, Luke, was he just not invited or did he refuse to go? Tell me on what planet it makes sense to only invite Conor McGregor and not invite Jose Aldo to the same conference where you could have all of that stuff stirring. Tell me how that makes any sense. I bet your bottom dollar, I bet my bottom dollar, the reason why Aldo is not there is because he didn't want to be because it's a long trip from Brazil just for a press conference and again being next to Conor McGregor. I bet after that world tour, he was like, I'm not doing this again. I bet it. I bet. I bet. And McGregor's already there because I think tomorrow or this week is the end of the filming of the uh, Ultimate Fighter. Um, he can just hang on for another week. If you, I mean, he's already been here this long and then he can do it. All right, someone asked about this. Kill the current UFC 170 welterweight division. Luke, with the new changes to drug testing and the ban of IVs taking shape, which, you know, do you guys see that two-year ban you could face for taking using an IV? I mean, wow. Talk about overkill. Is now the time to dissolve the current UFC welterweight division in favor of a more consistent weight deviation between fighters? Thoughts on creating the new welterweight division at a 165-pound limit and then creating a titanweight division at 175. Let the current welterweight champ decide which division he wants to be inaugural champ of. And let the other be decided by four top-rated contenders in a tournament like that was initially done for flyweight. Imagine the possibilities of heavy 155ers and small 170ers having a new home at 165 and the same scenario 175 and the, for the massive 170ers who are smallish 185ers. It's not a bad idea, and if... I mean, I, I don't know how doable it is because um, you're essentially you're essentially just adding another weight class. You're making it easy on 175, uh, which is you know, getting to 170 is very very hard. So someone like Gastelum, right, would be much better served at 175 than he would at 165. Um, but again, I hearken back to the reasons about why we don't do this before. It's like whether or not there is an economic cost to this kind of thing. What you're talking about is would this be good for fighters? Sure. Sure, it'd be great for fighters. Would it be good for UFC's business? I have a hard time arguing how this would be better for them than the other one, where you have these deep lightweight divisions and these deep welterweight divisions. Two deepest divisions in the UFC, arguably. Um, that, to me, seems like... Uh, I mean, you could make a list and you could say, but look at the top 10 for this one, look at the top 10 for this one. Wouldn't the top 10 for like, Titan weight be even better than the, the top 10 for middleweight? Um, and you could make that claim, but I don't, or, you know, you could say that you could say the middleweight's top 10 is no better, no worse than Titanweight's top middle top. What are you doing? Top 10. 
well, but this leads to my point. Why would you want to create malaise? Why would you want to create, well, this one's bad relative to this one. Why would we want to make another one just like that when we have this super division where we don't have to make these kinds of choices where we can just have stacked top to bottom, super hard to come with them. Look, I'm not saying it's not a bad idea for the fighters. I'm not saying it wouldn't still be a competitive division, but just asking, you know, there's an economic incentive here and whether or not the powers that be have any desire to, to, to go that route seems to me quite speculative at best. Someone says so much high level MMA, I'm going to explode. That's, that's the end of this. That's the end of the spectrum that I care about. That's the side of the product that does the best, best for me. Barbas. Hey, I think he's, it's National Dog Day, and I think he's trying to do National Take a Dump on My Rug Day. Not today, buddy. Uh, did you buy Barbus anything for National Dog Day? No, I have not. Does matchmaking equal fight fixing? Okay. Um... As an example, when UFC backed Tito, he won every fight. When they didn't, he lost everyone, bar the one fluke versus Bader. Right, but you can give guys tough fights and they can just blow through them too, or you can give guys easy fights and they can lose them. Matchmaking is not the same as fight fixing, but it is an art. It is an art. You're sell this is a sport of heroes and heroics. You are selling people the idea of an image of Fedor as the last emperor, and everyone... When he started to lose and get older, they said, well, he fought a bunch of scrubs in pride while also fighting the very best. Yeah, that wasn't coincidental. That all helped his image. Oh, well, someone in boxing gets a tune-up fight. Yep, well, that has a purpose. One, to get him back on track with training, get a second camp under before he fights somebody real, and two, because it makes him look good. Because looking good is so important. There are so many fight fans out there where if LeBron James had a bad game and Della Vadova had a good one, they couldn't tell the difference in ability. They just couldn't. They just couldn't, you know, uh, because how you look and, and the reasons why, you know, they, they sometimes they matter, sometimes they don't. But um, there's a, you know, there is certainly an art to making sure that you have a viable contender, someone who can pass the smell test, but who can also look good doing it. You know, why did Conor McGregor avoid wrestlers up until more recently? Well, because he looked good when he wasn't fighting them. And that has value. And he's eventually going to have to fight him. He already fought one of them. But there's a value there. And I don't, I'm not mad at UFC or anyone else for doing that. That's, this is how the game works. Inevitably, the body of work has to tell you something, right? We, I feel like Robbie Lawler's takedown defense since fighting McDonald the first time and in that second Hendricks fight really kind of turned a corner. So he, he, he showed that. Um, with time, he could get better and he could really improve. Um, and I'm not saying they turn him into commercial superstar. I just mean there's just ways where you can pass these tests and there are ways in which they can make passing the tests easier until the, the real test comes where you can't avoid it. In the end, though, in this game, you guys always have to remember that it's less about this guy versus this guy. Did you fight the best this one time or the best this other time? It's about when it's all said and done. Who did you fight? It's sort of like the argument that Mayweather makes. He, some people are like, well, he fought a bunch of guys past his prime. He fought a bunch of guys who were right in it, too. He fought a bunch of guys who were right in it, and he gave them all a very hard time. Um, 
In fact, he hasn't lost to any of them because it's the body of work that you're looking at there. It's okay when you when the when the when it's all said and done. It's not just the names, of course, yes, but you know how, how you beat them and, and when and why. And you know the Berto fight is just a joke, but but that's what this is about. So it's not you're not fixing fights, you're not determining outcomes, but you are certainly um, massaging a certain reality to get a certain kind of outcome that you can sell. That's what this is all about. But sometimes there's guys who come along like John Jones where, you know, he beat up on a bunch of elderly people. He would beat anyone they put in front of him. That's who he would beat. There's a huge debate here about fight fixing too. Uh, ADCC predictions. Anyone or ADCC to win? Well, I don't know about the open class. I'll take um, – I'll take Sosa at male 77. I'll take, um, hmm. I'll take Bruno Frazado at male 66. Oh, I'll take Cobrinha at 66. Excuse me. Uh, at 88, I will take, I will take either Bahal. Or some moist. At ninety nine, I will take. Um, man, Hector Lombard is competing at ninety nine kilos. Whoa, it's a weaker division though. Oh, I'll take Hadolfo Vieira, even though Nogi's not his thing. Um, and then plus ninety nine, I'll take. Jared Dopp might be your dark horse there. Oh, Kavaka, maybe. Maybe Kavaka. And then female minus 60, I'll take Nicolini. And then female plus 60, I'll take Gabriel, Gabriel Garcia, of course. Uh, super fights, I'll take Laborio over Sperry. And I'll take Galvao over Abreu. Quickly look at some more of these. Can you predict the UFC 200 card? Nobody can predict the UFC 200 card. It's a it's a year from now. <laughs> you don't even know who's going to be in the sport. You don't even know, God forbid. Oh, my God. Developing. Redskins linebacker Junior Gallette reportedly suffered a serious Achilles injury at practice. Are you effing kidding me? Oh, my God. <laughs> team is doomed, man. Oh, my God. Y'all understand, like, everyone on that team is injured? Paulson, Niles Paul, I guess now... Oh, my God. Wow. Dude, this team is this team is doomed. It's doomed. An Achilles injury for Junior Gallette. Oh, my God. Why, do, why, do, why does anyone root for this team? Why does anyone root for this team? I don't understand. It's a racist team name with a horrible owner 
that has, you know, uh, 1990 era, 1919 era Boston Red Sox luck. Oh my God. Drives me crazy, man. You think fighters should be given an opportunity to have an official signal they can give the opponent or ref to stop the contest? This is not a major problem that is in search of a major solution. It's pretty simple, really. It's tap, or I've had enough, or stop, or no more, or no mas, or you know whatever the case may be. We don't need an official signal. We've already got a thousand of them, and they all work just fine. Uh, okay, if UFC 200 were Connor versus Edgar, okay, Ronda versus Cyborg, GSP versus Lawler, that's not happening, Verdum versus Fedor, and Punk versus Random Dude, could this card break all records? Yes, it could. Very, very easily, as a matter of fact. It could break all of them with, with a relative amount of ease. Let's see. Questioning the selection of Paige Van Zandt's opponents isn't sexist. It would only be so if it happened to her and other women exclusively. No, that's not how it works. When there have been all kinds of men who have had it and you've never said a thing about it and you've been like, well, whatever, or in fact, excuse it as a good thing, and then you get alarmed at it when it happens to a woman, that is the definition of sexist. But even if it's not sexist, even if they're in fact doing it to her benefit, which I mentioned before, there's no problem with it. There's no problem with it. Someone who is that good, who is that much of an important prospect, they don't deserve to get a bunch of easy fights they can win, but they deserve the right kind of fights they can win at the right time before the real challenges become unavoidable, assuming they can get past all the other challenges first. Can Tony, Grapp Tony Ferguson's grappling compete with Nurmagomedov? Um, I don't think anyone's can, but I don't know what kind of Nurmagomedov you're going to get. I have no idea what kind of Nurmagomedov you're going to get. People posting pictures of their dogs, which is awesome. I'm going to wreck that. Look, a couple more of these. Leonardo Machida recently said that he's going to take some time off but plans to return at middleweight. Who would you like to see him fight? Someone outside of the top 10, for sure. Someone outside of the top 10. Um, I would like to see him... Jesus, I don't even know if he can get back on track, but he does not need to be fighting anyone who actually is on a title contention basis in any kind of serious way. Are there any other or any other sites out there that do something great that you wish you could do more of an MMA coverage? Yeah, all the time, man. But I've answered this, I've answered this before. All right, we gotta go. Anything else from Twitter? No, that's about it. Uh, okay. I want to thank everyone for uh, watching today. Please give it a thumbs up. Share it if you can. Um, it'll be on iTunes.com slash promotional practice very soon. Let's see. What else? Uh, it's also on SoundCloud. We're on, I think we're on Stitcher too. Um, Podkicker, the work. So there's plenty of places you can get this kind of stuff if you want it. Um, email me at LukeDuckThomas at SBNation.com. Guys, this is my last chat for a while. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm out of the country on Monday. Go on. I'm out of here, and I won't be back until like two weeks plus. So the next time you'll see me is on Monday the 14th of September, 
Uh, well, there'll be a beat this week, but for this live chat, for these podcasts, this is it. So thank you for everyone who has watched these podcasts. Um, I appreciate it very much and sent feedback, both good and bad. Y'all are very sweet. Y'all are great. And um, I will see you guys for this podcast when I get back from vacation. And I hope I'm tan and uh, not as normally bitter as I normally am, but I'll always be a bitter, bitter curmudgeon. Okay. Until next time. Thank you guys so much. Stay frosty.